0: Hello everybody. I'm realizing that this is the first time I have preached to your faces uncovered in person since I have been here. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Everybody looks great. (laughs) If you would, uh, our main text today is the text we've been working with the last several weeks, and the text that we'll be in a few more weeks, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, We're also going to check in with Matthew 4 and Colossians 2, in case you want to turn a little early. Um, But we'll give time to do that later. Let's just start with the Matthew 28 text, and uh, as we've been doing... Let's read it together uh, once we get to verse, the second half of verse 18. So this is the word of the Lord. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, Lord God, this uh, evening we come to you uh, to hear from you. Uh, We come to receive from you. Uh, We have nothing to offer you that you don't already have, uh, which is a good thing for us to remember because uh, the gifts that are exchanged here really flow one way. Uh, You just overwhelm us with your grace. So, God, I pray that you would attune our hearts and our minds and even our imaginations to that flood of grace that you pour out on us. Lord, we as a church, uh, you know, we have lots of ideas and desires, hopes and dreams for our church, uh, where we're going to worship, um, how we're going to grow, how we're going to partner with people, how we're going to be a blessing to our metro area. But Lord, none of this, none of our hopes and dreams, none of it means anything if we are not positioned to be first and foremost with all of our hearts, receivers of your grace through Jesus. So Lord, I pray that here in this time, you would help us to receive from you. Help us to reach out and take a hold of the gift that is your word. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so we have been in a series, uh, Purpose and Mission, looking at the purpose of the Christian life, which is to love God and love one another, love our neighbors, And also looking at the mission of the church, which is uh, most comprehensively all in one place stated here in the passage that we quoted, the Great Commission, where Jesus uh, looked at the eleven, the officers of his new community, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, that's followers of Jesus or students of Jesus, also representatives of Jesus, Go make student representatives of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is our mission. Now, thus far, we've talked about Jesus' authority. It's divine authority, but it's also human authority. We've talked about what it means to go. Uh, what it means to interact with all nations, all people groups. We've talked about what it means to be a disciple, a follower, student, follower of Jesus, and also a representative of Jesus. So that means making other disciples. we talked about all these things. And you know, the interesting thing is, is uh, very often in sermons and teachings regarding the Great Commission, this passage, mission of the church, very often the teaching stops There. We, talk, we read the passage, we talk about the authority of Jesus, we talk about what is a disciple, how we're going to make disciples, we're going to make disciples of all nations, and then we stop. And there's this whole other half, this whole side B, if you will, to the Great Commission. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, baptizing the disciples that you make. Teaching them, teaching the disciples to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he says, one of the greatest statements in the whole Bible. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So starting today and over the next three Sundays, we're going to focus in on these three things that Jesus adds after the make disciples um, command. And these are things that very often we might talk about as a church. Of course we're going to talk about baptism. Of course, we're going to talk about teaching. But very often, these things get de- detached from the Great Commission. So, one of the questions we want to answer over the next three weeks is, why these three things? In fact, we're not going to answer it over the next three weeks, we're going to answer it right now. Why these three things? Why baptizing, teaching, and the ongoing presence of Jesus? Why did he tag these three things on to his Great Commission? Is this some kind of exhaustive list of everything the church is supposed to do? Are we supposed to do no more than baptize, teaching, and knowing that He is with us? I don't think so, because there's so many other things that the church does. Both the people of God before Jesus, and then both in, and then also in the Book of Acts and in Paul's letters, we see all kinds of things. Things like serving the poor, um, things like personal evangelism. Things like um, caring for one another. So it's not an exhaustive list. Is it a best of list? Is this like the best things that the church could ever do? Baptizing, teaching, and knowing that Jesus is with us. Well, maybe, but I'm not sure that that's why Jesus tagged it on these three things. I really believe that the answer to why did Jesus tag on baptizing, teaching, and his ongoing presence to the command to make disciples, and if you read our weekly email devotional, we gave this away, uh, the main reason he tags these three things on is because these are the means by which these are the instruments, these are the tools that we're supposed to use to go out and make disciples. This list of Three, baptizing, teaching, Jesus' ongoing presence. These are the tools we need for the job that he gives us. Jesus is not a bad manager. He's not going to call us to do a job and then not give us what we need to do it. He's a good manager. He's going to give us exactly what we need to do the job. And to make disciples of all nations, we need baptism. We need teaching, and we need his ongoing presence. We need the Word. We need the sacraments. And we need him here in our community. But there's more. It's not just the tools for the job. It's also like a list of vital signs. You know, when someone goes to the hospital and they get hurt real bad, they, uh, hopefully we, you know, we don't want to end up there. Everybody does probably eventually, you know, but I've seen it on TV. People lay there in the hospital bed and there's a little screen with vital signs, like your pulse, whether or not you're breathing, those kinds of things. And we want to, if we want to tell if somebody is alive or not, we look for vital signs. Are they breathing? Is there a pulse? Uh, is there a brain activity well these three things that jesus mentions baptizing the sacraments teaching his word the preaching and teaching of his word and evidence of his ongoing presence these are the vital signs of the church and if we want to know if a church is alive or if a church is dead we look for the vital signs what's their practice with the sacraments what what do they Are they teaching and preaching the word? Uh, Is there evidence of the presence of Jesus among them? So why did Jesus tag on these three things to the Great Commission? They're tools for the job. They're vital signs for the church. Uh, But there's one more thing. Uh, They are the places that Jesus can be found. Um, I don't know if you ever played hide-and-go-seek. Silas, you ever play hide-and-go-seek? Yeah, pretty cool game. Uh, When we play hide-and-go-seek, you know, one person covers their eyes, counts to ten, everybody goes and hides. And you say, ready or not, here I come. And you go look for people, right? But if you can't find everybody, then the person who's it, the person looking, eventually will stop and say, okay, I give up. And at that point, whoever's left hiding jumps out and says, Here I am. I'm right here. I was here the whole time. Right here, hiding behind this music stand. (laughs) Well, these are the places that Jesus says, Here I am. Throughout the Gospels, we see people encounter Jesus, have personal interactions with him, be healed by him, hear his teaching, talk with him. And we see that when people encounter Jesus personally, they're changed. They're either, their hearts are softened to him and they become disciples, or their hearts get hard against him and they become his opponents. And that's still true today. When we encounter Jesus personally, when we go to the place that he is, we're changed by him. Where is Jesus today in the world? Well, he's present In his body, the church. He's the head and we're the body. I'm with you always to the end of the age. He is present in the preaching and teaching of his word. It's the word of Christ that we proclaim. Or as Paul says, uh, him we proclaim. And he is present in his sacraments at the table and the waters of baptism. So these three things, we're going to spend the rest of today and then the next week and the week after that, looking at these tools for making disciples, these vital signs for a healthy church, and these places where Jesus can be found. And each week, we're going to examine our own hearts, we're going to examine our own congregation, and we're going to ask, are we using the right tools for the job? Do we see that there's life here? And are we pointing people to Jesus and the places that he can be found? So, there you go. That's the introduction to the next three weeks, including this one. But today, for the rest of the time, let's focus in on baptism. Baptism as a tool for discipleship. Baptism as a vital sign for life. And baptism as a place where Jesus can be found. Baptism and disciple-making. What do we need to know? Well, first, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer. We could talk about baptism for about six hours straight and still not cover everything. There is so much rich truth and application and things to gaze at and marvel at and walk around and and, and cause us to worship. Uh, there's so much in baptism. So today, we have like, Mm, I went long in the introduction, so we got like 25 minutes. Um, No, 20. Uh, We're just going to like 30,000 foot baptism. Baptism and disciple making. What's the deal? What do we need to know? How is baptism a tool for discipleship? How is baptism a vital sign for the church? How is baptism a place where Jesus can be found? What's the deal? What's the deal with baptism? Uh, Well, let's start with this. Uh, first, it's in the Great Commission, right? We've talked all about that. It's really important. It's non negotiable. We need it to do the job. Uh, we need it to be alive. And we need it in order to show Jesus to the world. You stop waving this paper around. I probably look like a crazy man up here. <laughs> uh, we need it. So let's start with that, okay? But knowing that, that we need it, we can't get the job done without it. We we can't show Jesus to the world as he intends without it. We, We can't really live a healthy life as a church without it. Knowing all of that, what is it? What makes it separate and unique? What makes it different than singing? What makes it different than our personal evangelism, or acts of service? What is it about baptism that's so special? Well, the answer is, baptism is a sacrament. It's a sacrament. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two sacraments of the Church that are instituted by God for us to use uh, in a particular way. Now, for many of us like me that grew up in non-liturgical church backgrounds, sacrament is kind of a—it's a, uh, a strong word that sounds going to go out on them here. That sounds pretty Catholicy. And we're not Catholic. What is that about? Uh, well, sacrament is uh, first of all it it is Catholicy. It's a word that belongs to the Catholic or universal church, which includes the capital C Catholic Church and us. It is. It's something that belongs to the church. Maybe the best way to define what a sacrament is that shows us why baptism, we call it a sacrament and why it's so important, is to go to um, the Westminster Confession of Faith and how it defines sacraments. Westminster Confession of Faith is our statement of faith as a church that was drafted uh, a long time ago that sort sort of shows how we connect with the Catholic universal church. So, what is a sacrament? Well, I'll read from the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 27. It says this. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits, to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world. And solemnly to engage them in the service of God in Christ according to His Word. Did you get all that? <laughs> There's a lot there. Let me put that in uh, in layman's terms. Sacraments are holy and mysterious practices that God has given to us as Church, and they act like signs or symbols that depict God's saving action in the world through Jesus. They're pictures, but they're also seals or watermarks, marks of authentication that confirm to us, that prove to us, that reassure us that God's promises are true. Baptism and the Lord's Supper through these things we worship god through these things we receive his grace through these things we are set apart from the world through these signs these symbols and these seals these tokens of promise so i want to i want to take our time here and focus on baptism through that lens Baptism uh, in the scriptures is spoken of in this way. It's a symbol. It's a picture. It's a sign. Baptism is also a seal, uh, the mark, a token of a promise. And when we consider baptism in these two ways, we are able to see what it is that makes it so spectacular. What makes it uh, a sacrament, or in the Latin, sacramentum, or in Greek, mysterion, or in maybe more accurate English, a mystery. Baptism is a great mystery. It's a mystery that shows us what God's saving action looks like. It's a mystery that shows us that his promises are true. And in this mystery, by use of this instrument, use of this mystery as an instrument, we are able to do a spectacular thing. Show Jesus to the world. Express the life that he gives us. And call people to follow him. Okay, so, baptism as a sign, as a symbol, as a picture. Baptism as a symbol, a picture, a sign of God's saving action toward us. When we take water, when we pour it on somebody's head, or in some traditions when we take a person and dip them into the water, And we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are interacting with a picture, an image, a symbol of God's saving action toward us. Look look in your Bibles to the passage that Kurt read earlier in Colossians 2. How is baptism a picture how is it a symbol how does it show God's saving action well listen to this therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in Thanksgiving and see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world but not according to Christ For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. You who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him in Christ in this passage we see the Christian life described as a journey described as a trip on a road therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him the Christian life is a journey. But on this journey, we're in danger of being taken captive or being led astray by human ideas and spiritual forces that would stand antithetical to Christ, that would lead us away from the Christ road. So here we are in the Christian life as we Receive Christ, so walk in him. We're on a journey and we're in danger of being led astray by certain philosophies or ideas or the human deceit or traditions or even spirits. So God has given us signs along the way. Signposts. It's quite literal metaphor here. To show us that we're on the right road when we're following Christ. Paul calls these Colossian believers to look back at the kind of circumcision that they received. These Colossians are Gentile believers, they weren't circumcised like their Jewish brothers. Paul is showing them that in Christ, the kind of circumcision that, that marks off our belonging to Him. That's a picture of our cleansing from what's impure. It's a circumcision that happens spiritually and is pictured in baptism. Paul says, consider your circumcision. The circumcision of Christ. Well, Paul, what's that? Well, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him. He forgave all of your trespasses. So, as the state puts up signs to tell us which road we're on, in the journey of the Christian life, God has given us a sign to let us know we're on the right road. And that sign is baptism. So, when we look at baptism as a sign, what do we see? Well, we see something like what circumcision was to the Jews in the Old Testament. We see a ritual where that which is considered to be unpure is cut away. Or washed away. We see a ritual that depicts a kind of death and then a kind of resurrection. And we see a ritual, if you will, that's not even a great word. We see a mystery that tells us that our identity is not fundamentally something that belongs to us, but it's something that fundamentally belongs to Christ. All of these things are pictured in baptism. So, on the road of the Christian life, your philosophies, your worldviews and your point of view, those things aren't what leads you to enlightenment or to heaven or to flourishing. No. Your traditions... These are not the things that lead you to enlightenment or to flourishing or to heaven. Nope. Your spiritual practice. That's not the thing that leads you to enlightenment or to flourishing or to heaven. The thing that leads you to enlightenment and to flourishing and to heaven is pictured in baptism. Now this is powerful. Abraham was circumcised to show that the faith that he had was the kind of faith that God required in order to enter into covenant relationship with him. It showed on the outside what was going on in the inside. And in the same way baptism, the washing of baptism, as surely as water washes away dirt, Jesus washes away your impurities and makes you clean. Your ideas can't make you clean. Your traditions can't make you clean. Only his washing, which happens in Christ. Listen to the way that Titus, the disciple Titus, puts it in Titus 3:4 through 6. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ, our Savior. When we baptize someone and we pour water on their head, it's a picture of how God saves us. God pours out his Holy Spirit on us. God causes us to be regenerated. Like when you pour water on a seed that is dead, it springs to life. And he causes us to be washed from our sins. So for us to be a baptizing church, For us to be a church that uses baptism uh, as a tool for discipleship, for us to be a church that proves to be alive because we're a baptizing church, and for us to be a church that uses baptism to make disciples, we need to do much more than just call people up here and pour water on their heads. We need to live what baptism symbolizes. We need to be a church that doesn't believe That salvation comes from our own goodness. We need to be a church that doesn't believe that salvation comes from having a particular worldview. And we need to be a church that doesn't believe that salvation comes because we do a really good job at religion. We need to a church, we need to be a church that believes that salvation in life and true goodness and true enlightenment only comes by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit poured out on us. Baptism is a sign of these things. And God calls us to be a baptizing church. Okay? It's not just a sign, it's also a seal. A seal, like um, uh, back in the old days, Back in the old days, we don't do this, well, I guess we do this sometimes, but I like talking about the old days. So back in the old days, if a king or um, some kind of official, uh, or maybe even some kind of um, business owner or something like that wanted to write an official document, maybe a piece of legislation, or uh, 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 a piece of, you know, uh, like a, like an official receipt for a, a transaction, something official. They would um, take, people had for their business, or kings would have them on rings, they would have a particular seal, like a stamp, it has their symbol on it, symbol of their family, a symbol of, you know, the, the throne, or a symbol of their business, they would take their little stamp, and they would pour wax on the document, and then they would take their stamp and stamp it into the hot wax. And when the wax dried, there it had a picture of that person's unique mark. And if you got a letter in the mail, or you saw you know, a, a new law that was signed, and it was hanging in a public square, if it had the seal of the king... Or the seal of the person's family that sent you the letter. You can look at that and you could say, oh, I know that this is authentic. I know that this is official. I know that this comes from the king. That's what a seal is when it talks about baptism being a sign and a seal. So uh, in the confession it says baptism confirms our interest in him. It confirms our share in him. So, it's a stamp of approval. It's a watermark, like on a check or a $20 bill. Baptism shows us that this thing that we believe in, God's promises to save us and save the world through Jesus Christ, baptism shows us that it's true, that it's real, that it comes from God. Now, I've got to admit that I, this is something I learned when I was in seminary that baptism is a seal, a mark of authentication. And for the longest time, I thought it was kind of silly. Because anybody, any fraud, can do a baptism or pour water on somebody and say, see, we did a baptism, that means it's real. (laughs) I thought this isn't a very strong mark of authentication. A watermark, a king's seal, is supposed to be hard to copy. Baptism is easy to copy. You just get somebody up, water, and... Uh, You say the right thing, and boom. So how? How how is baptism God's mark of authentication, God's watermark that we can look at and say, oh, this is true. How is that? Well, we find the answer by looking to Jesus' baptism. So turn to Matthew 3, not 4. I said 4 earlier. That was wrong. Matthew 3. Or listen and I want to read to you about Jesus's baptism then I'll show you just a few things uh, in the days of John the Baptist in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And, and, and then Jerusalem and all of Judea and, and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, for baptism, he said, You, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the foot of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came down from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, Oh, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened on him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, the baptism of Jesus, quickly summarized, goes like this. John, the prophet, preparing the way from the Lord, calling people, come wash in the river. The the, the Greek word, baptizo, Baptism means to wash. Come, be baptized in the river. Wash in the river for the forgiveness of your sins. Come as a way to repent of your sins. Sinners, come. Pharisees, those who think you don't have sin, you better stay away, you brood of vipers. But sinners, come to the water. And then one comes, the only person who doesn't have sin, And John says, oh no, this is a baptism for sinners, for repentance. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, John, I gotta do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then he was baptized and what happens? The heavens open. The spirit rests on him like a dove. And the father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Folks, When we baptize people, when we baptize people, we're baptizing people with this same baptism. Which means? Well, let me back up. Let's just take a moment. Jesus Christ, the only person without sin, comes to be counted among, to be identified with sinners and to partake in their repentance in order to bring true righteousness to the world. And when he does so, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all come together in that moment. Now, when we get somebody up here and we baptize them, that's what's happening. Jesus, who has no sin, stands with that sinner and shares in that baptism. Let me put it this way This sinner shares in the baptism that Jesus partook in, which means that the sinner being baptized and the only righteous one are unified under that water. And then righteousness is fulfilled. And then the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in agreement, in Trinitarian unity, say, this is my son, my daughter. When we baptize people, we are baptizing them with the baptism of Jesus. This is why it says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the way that you remember when the whole Trinity came together to say, this person belongs to me. So, have you ever doubted your salvation? Have you ever wondered if you belong to God? Have you ever looked to your life and say, I'm full of sin, I'm a total mess, I just don't know? Well, can you look back to your baptism? Or the stories about your baptism because you don't remember it because you're a baby? If you can, look back and know that at that baptism, the whole trinity came together to say that you belong to God. At that baptism, Jesus Christ the righteous was joined with the community of sinners. When we can look back at that picture, we know that whatever God promises has to be true. Because if it's true that God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit all come together to claim you as his own when you haven't done anything righteous, if that's true, all of God's promises are true. So for us to be a baptizing church, that's what we participate in. But also it comes with a warning. If we think we're righteous, if we think we're following the law, if we think we're doing it right, you brood of vipers. It stings. So we're like way over time. How do we use baptism as a tool for making disciples? How do we look to baptism as a vital sign for our church? How do we look at baptism and say, that's where Jesus is? we got to know that in the, the symbol, the sign, and in the seal, the authentic mark of baptism, the truth that rings with unstoppable sound and force. When we look at baptism, what we see is sinners washed and saved by God's action, not theirs. So folks... Let's be a baptizing church. Let's pray.